Okay, we are going to um, hear from God's Word again. And we're going to read uh, the account of uh, Jesus uh, having risen from the dead, appearing to um, the disciples uh, for the second time, but this time uh, particularly to um, the disciple named Thomas. Okay, so we'll read from uh, John chapter 20, verse 19, down to 31, um, but I'll just be preaching on verse 24 to 31. I just wanted to read from verse 19 just to give the context to uh, what's happening. So let's hear from God's word. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray. We'll ask God uh, to help us to understand this. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that everything that's uh, been written in the past was written to teach us and uh, to instill in us uh, the hope uh, that we can have eternal life in Christ. So may your Holy Spirit lead us uh, to Christ to put our faith in him so that we might have uh, this hope. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever Thomas is mentioned from the Bible, what word comes to mind? Doubt. Yeah, doubting. See, that's, that's what we remember um, Thomas for. Uh, in fact, we don't call him Thomas, do we? We call him Doubting Thomas. So we're going to learn about Doubting Thomas today. 
now, the, the trouble with doubting Thomas is it gives the impression that all of the other disciples, they were not doubting disciples, that they were really, you know, guys with really strong faith, and Thomas was the skeptic among them. You know, Thomas was the one whose faith was a little bit all over the place, a bit wobbly. Um, but it's actually very surprising that we call this fellow doubting Thomas because he didn't stay that way. Okay, he actually came to faith, and not only that, he makes a profession of faith in this passage, which is actually one of the greatest professions of faith in the whole Bible. That's what we should be remembering Thomas for, the man of faith. Uh, and this, this profession of faith that he makes, my Lord and my God, that's actually the profession of faith that we all need to make about Jesus. And so we're going to think about that today. Uh, we're going to do that by looking at, um, first of all, Thomas the doubter, then Thomas the believer, and then finally how that helps us uh, to be um, believers today. So think about Thomas the doubter. Uh, the first thing to notice about him in verse 24 is that he actually wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. See, the day Jesus rose from the dead, that evening he appeared to the disciples and said, here you go, here I am. They got to see him there. Verse 24 says that Thomas was not with them at that point. And so the other disciples were telling him that this was the first night after Jesus rose. They're saying, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. They're telling him that over and over. But Thomas, he wouldn't have any of it. He's not going to listen. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, so it's a very bold statement. Doesn't matter how many times they're going to tell him, not nah, unless I see, not having any of it. See, for Thomas, he wants evidence. He wants real evidence. He doesn't want some made-up story. He doesn't want them, the disciples saying, you know, we had this vision or we had this hallucination or we got together and we made up this great story. He doesn't want any of that stuff. He doesn't want any uh, fake or fairy tales. Thomas wants evidence, real evidence, stuff that he can look at. He wants something that he can get his finger and actually poke he wants to be able to touch because if, if this man, Jesus, who he saw dead on a cross, he saw with you know a soldier plunged a spear into the side of Jesus just to make sure Jesus was really dead, he wants to know for absolute sure that that guy, that dead fellow, Jesus, is he actually alive again or not? Okay, he wants evidence. Unless I see, unless I touch, I will never believe. Now, it's very important for us to think about this because many people today assume that people way back then in that first century were very gullible, You know that they were people who would believe in the resurrection of Jesus even without credible evidence. Uh, you know, it's assumed that people back then were primitive. Uh, this was before modern science, and so people didn't understand things properly. Uh, they, they were they, you know, very susceptible to believing all kinds of superstitions. Uh, so it's thought. And so, you know, the idea is 
that if someone came along way back then and claimed that Jesus rose from the dead, that people would just believe it without even looking into it because they were so primitive and didn't really understand the the true nature of things. But see, that's actually completely wrong. Uh, People back then were just as unlikely to believe the resurrection of Jesus as people are today, but just for different reasons. Okay, uh, There's a book um, which is worth reading called uh, Reason for God. It's written by a fellow named Timothy Keller. And uh, he points out in that book that people in the first century, it was very impossible for them to believe the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and, he, and he points out that for the Greek people in that first century, uh, the Greeks, the idea of a bodily resurrection to them was just not only impossible, it was actually the worst thing that could happen to you. Because to Greek people back then, they believed the material world was evil uh, and that the, the physical body was almost like a prison for the soul. And so for Greeks, salvation in their minds was all about escaping the body getting away from physical matter. Uh, And so the idea of a physical resurrection, to them that seemed silly. Why would you even want that? And so they would dismiss that as foolishness. Uh, Now, it was just as impossible for Jews back then to believe in uh, the resurrection of Jesus, but again, for different reasons. See, unlike the Greeks, the Jews believed that the material world was good. They did have an understanding that it, at the end of time, there would be a resurrection of the dead. That was part of their worldview. Uh, however, <clears throat> in their minds, the resurrection, you know, when people rise into a glorified state to never die again, that happens at the very end. Okay, that was the Jewish worldview. The resurrection only happens at the very end of time when the whole world is renewed. And so this idea that someone could rise again in the middle of history, enter into their glorified state already while the rest of the world continues on with sin and decay and death, that didn't make sense to them. That, that seemed silly. In fact, it sounded like a heresy. So for these disciples to be saying to Thomas over and over, we have already seen Jesus in this glorified state. We've already seen Jesus enter that glorified state while the rest of the world just keeps going on? Thomas isn't going to believe that. That doesn't doesn't fit with his thinking. It doesn't make sense. It just sounds like a heresy. In fact, uh, you can kind of see this mentality, not just in um, Thomas, but in all of the disciples, if you just rewind back one week earlier. Um, Because on on that, that, that morning, the third day after Jesus rose from the dead, how many of the disciples were sitting outside the tomb waiting to watch Jesus walk out? How many of them were there? None. Why? To me, that never made sense because how many times did Jesus tell them, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise from the dead? How many times did he tell them that? I didn't take the time to count them, but... Um, Look, just to have a look at one example, Luke 18. Uh, In Luke 18, um, here Jesus says that very thing. We're going to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him. 
and on the third day he will rise. So Luke goes on to tell us that the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. It just all sounded crazy uh, to them. Uh, in, in fact, even uh, there was women who did go to the tomb early on that, that morning that Jesus rose again. And when they got there, they see the stones rolled away and Jesus isn't there. And what do they assume? Do they go, oh, that's right, it's the third day. No, they, they say, oh, his body must have been stolen. And they go wondering, where did it go? What happened? They're all upset. Even though Jesus told them over and over, on the third day, I'm going to rise. Why were they so, so, so slow to believe? It's because it didn't make sense. It didn't fit their worldview. This was not what they were expecting. And so the only way that, that anyone back then, whether Greeks or Jews, would ever accept that Jesus rose again, has already entered into his glorified state, the only way any of them would accept that is if they had evidence, evidence that was so undeniable that it would actually overturn these deeply entrenched uh, views that they'd had uh, from their beginning. And so it's actually wrong to think that people back then, you know, because they were pre-scientific and uh, didn't really understand things, that they would just believe anything you told them. That's not the case at all. They had reasons not to believe that. And that's partly why Thomas says, unless I see, unless I touch, I will never believe. But there is something else behind Thomas's um, unbelief. And that is, it's not just a clash of worldviews. Okay? He's not just being stubborn. This is the unbelief of a man who has been bitterly disappointed. A man who has had his hopes absolutely smashed by Jesus. You see, Thomas, he actually came to the point where he believed Jesus was the Messiah. He put all his hope in Jesus. He'd followed Jesus for three years. And he was at the point where he, he was sure that any moment now, Jesus the Messiah is going to bring God's kingdom into the world. And because Jesus had chosen Thomas to be one of the leaders, for Thomas that was almost like he's about to become the king. And yet what happened? Thomas saw his so-called Messiah arrested, beaten to a pulp, nailed to a cross, tortured, die. His, the body thrown into a tomb, big stone rolled over the entrance. See, for Thomas, all of his hopes in Jesus, they were all buried in that tomb. And that, that, for Thomas, that was hopes absolutely smashed. Now, there's a proverb that says a hope deferred makes the heart sick. It means that when you, have, when you have really high hopes and those hopes get crushed, you can't get over that. Okay? You're, not going to, you're not going to hope again in a hurry because you don't want to go through all the pain of having your hopes smashed down again. And see, that's, that's behind why Thomas is saying, look, I don't care how many times my friends say Jesus has risen, I'm not going to put my hope in Jesus again unless I see unless I touch, otherwise I'm not having any of it. See, that's Thomas the doubter. He actually had his reasons for doubting. 
But now let's watch as Thomas the doubter becomes Thomas the believer. And what's it going to take? What's it going to take for someone who has had their hopes crushed to hope again? What's it going to take for someone with a worldview that, that doesn't have room for this type of resurrection? What's it going to take for Thomas to believe? It's going to take exactly what he demands, and that's exactly what he gets. Because Jesus turns up right there in their midst, and in verse 26 we read that eight days later his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he's after. And Thomas just blurts out this statement, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And remember, this is one of the greatest professions of faith in the whole Bible because this is Thomas saying, to a man standing in front of him, you are God. Okay, Basically, he's saying you are the, the one who created the whole world. You're the one who sustains everything, who keeps the whole world going. He's saying to that to someone he's looking at in front of him, a man standing in front of him, my Lord and my God. Now, that is incredible. Why does Thomas say that to Jesus? Why does the appearance of Jesus raised from the dead cause him to say, you are God? I mean, there were other people in the Bible who rose from the dead. No one raced up to them and said, hey, you are God. Why is it that he says it about Jesus? Uh, Why doesn't Thomas go, okay, I was wrong, sorry. Why does he say, my Lord and my God, and uh, the reason is, is because Thomas has had time to think about this. It's been a whole week. He's deci- the other disciples were saying Jesus has risen. Now, of course, Thomas wasn't going to have any part of that, but surely he started to think, to think, what is going on? Why are they telling me Jesus has risen? Surely he started to think about the things that Jesus had done over the last three years that he was with Jesus. You know, he'd seen Jesus calm a storm. He'd seen Jesus heal the sick. He'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He'd heard Jesus forgive the sins of people. That's something only God can do. Uh, He's seen, well, he's heard Jesus say all of these outrageous claims about himself. Uh, Jesus said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the truth or the way, the truth and the life. Uh, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what's all this I am business? What does that mean? That's, that's actually Jesus claiming the divine name. From Exodus three fourteen, when God said to Moses, well, Moses says, what's your name? And God says, I am. I am. And Jesus is saying, I am. Not only that, but Thomas had, he he was there at the times when the theologians of the day, when they heard Jesus' claims, what did they try to do? 
they tried to stone Jesus because they thought Jesus was committing blasphemy because they knew what Jesus was saying. They knew he was claiming to be God. They couldn't understand how a man could claim to be God. And not only that, 10 days before this episode that we're reading about here, just 10 days earlier, Thomas had a conversation with Jesus. And the conversation was about this very thing, this, this, this issue of who Jesus is. And Jesus said to Thomas on that occasion, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. And Philip butted into that conversation and he said to Jesus, well, show us the father then. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, look, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Look, Jesus could not be more clear. He told them over and over that he's God in the flesh. But to a, to, to a devout Jew who didn't have a, you know, a doctrine of the Trinity at the time, it just made no sense. It completely puzzled them. They, they couldn't work out what Jesus was saying. But when Thomas sees Jesus risen from the dead, that's the moment when all of these pieces of the puzzle finally come together. It's, it's almost like as soon as he sees Jesus risen from the dead, it's like the lights in this dimly lit room where all the pieces were there. It's like the lights finally turn on and now Thomas can see. Now it makes sense. Now he gets what Jesus was claiming all along, that Jesus wasn't just making up outrageous claims. He really is who he claimed to be. The resurrection proved that. The resurrection was that final penny drop. <laughs> and Thomas can see, now I get it. You really are God, God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. My Lord and my God. See, that's, that's actually what it took to turn Thomas the doubter into Thomas the believer. He had to see. He had to see Jesus risen from the dead and then he believed. And my guess is that some of you here today are thinking to yourself, do you know what? This is not really fair. How come Thomas got to see? Why can't I see? <laughs> Boy, if I could see and touch, then I would have faith strong like Thomas. Now, if I could see Jesus risen from the dead, maybe I'd actually take all this Jesus stuff a bit more seriously and actually pin, pin my life on it like Thomas did. Well, Jesus actually has something to say to you concerning that. Uh, look at verse 29. Uh, this is where Jesus uh, says to Thomas in response to this profession of faith, have you believed because you have seen me? And here it is, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here is Jesus, God in the flesh, telling you today that you are blessed if you believe in him, even though you haven't seen him. And that word blessed is, has such a vast meaning because it says that you are eternally satisfied, but it also says you are eternally accepted. That's what it means to be blessed. Eternally accepted, eternally satisfied. <clears throat> if you have not seen him and yet believe. 
And uh, so Jesus, he's thinking about all believers who will come after the apostles. So that includes us, uh, if you're a believer. You are blessed if you haven't seen yet believed. And, and again, maybe we could say, well, that's nice to know. It's nice to, to hear Jesus say that. But what am I supposed to base my belief on? Okay, how come I can't get to see like Thomas did? Is Jesus wanting us to just blindly believe that he is risen, that he is God? Okay, where's, where's our evidence? What can we look at? What can we touch? And John actually goes on to answer that one as well. So have a look at verse 30. Uh, Jesus did many other signs in the, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So did you hear the way John described the disciples? Uh, they were people who, who were in the presence of, uh, no, no, Jesus did these signs in the presence of the disciples. Okay, so that makes the disciples what? Eyewitnesses. Okay, they saw the stuff. They were in the presence. And John is saying that what they saw was written down so that even though we can't see Jesus today, what we can see is their eyewitness testimony written down. Okay, we can look at that and base our faith on that. Uh, this is the eyewitness testimony of, of people who actually saw Jesus risen from the dead. That's what we're to base our faith on. Not, not just hearsay, but actual eyewitness testimony written down. There you go. There's something to look at. There's something to touch. And that tells us that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you've got to remember that this eyewitness testimony, this is written by men who would never have believed unless it actually happened. Remember, they didn't have a category for this type of resurrection. The only way they would have believed it is if it actually happened. In fact, there is no better explanation for why first century Jews became men who believed that a man is God in the flesh and started worshipping him. How do you explain that? Why would that happen? There is no better explanation other than it must have actually happened. Jesus must have really risen from the dead. They must have really seen him. In fact, they were so convinced of the resurrection that they would rather die than deny what they saw. And we know that because they did die for proclaiming that Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay, When you're in an empire that worships the emperor, and you go around proclaiming there's only one God and his name is Jesus, that gets you into big trouble. Didn't deter them. Why? Because they saw something. They weren't going to back down, even if people threatened them with death, because they knew what this was. This was God has come. God has, he's gone to the cross, he's died and he's risen. And see, no one would die over something that they just made up. It must have happened. Otherwise, how do you explain the transformation in these, these disciples? 
And so we may not be able to see, <clears throat> we may not be able to see Jesus right now, but what we can see is the eyewitness <clears throat> testimony, and therefore we can <clears throat> be confident that Jesus really has risen. So there you go. But next question is, well, what does this mean for us then? What difference does this make? Well, let me just finish with two applications. If Jesus has risen, if he really is God, here's two applications. And the first one is, the first one is you cannot go on in your life ignoring Jesus. Okay, if he really is who he claimed to be, and if he really has risen from the dead, then that takes away the option of ignoring Jesus and assuming you don't have to worry about looking into that. Look, if he's God, you've got to actually look into it. Because to ignore that, to ignore that is a response. That, that is an answer to the question of who is Jesus. To ignore him is to say, I don't want to know. Okay, I don't want to know. Or look, you might be still un unsure about these things. It's okay to be unsure, but if you are unsure, what's the answer? Look into it. See if it's true. Find out for yourself. Read the books. Read the Bible. Talk to other Christians. Find out if, if this really is re uh, real. But if you're unsure and you do nothing about it, that, is, that itself is an answer. That's saying, I don't want to be sure. But we can't do that with Jesus because he's not just some bloke from the past that you can just shove aside. If he really is God in the flesh, if he really has risen from the dead, then you've got to do something with him. You've got to actually embrace him as he really is. Uh, if he really is God, well, you know, you can ignore him now. But look, if he's God, you're going to have to face him one day. So better to do that now rather than later when it's too late. Okay, now is the time to come to terms with who Jesus is so that like Thomas, you can confess him as Lord and God. And notice also that this, this profession, Lord and God, it's, it's actually a personal profession, <clears throat> a personal profession of faith. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. See, it has to be personal. Jesus has to be at the very centre of your life. He has to be the one that you trust in, the one that you obey, the one that you worship, the one who comes first in every decision. That's what it means to be Lord and God. So that's the first implication. You can't ignore Jesus. If you're unsure, then look into it more. But there's another implication here, and that is uh, that if you do believe in Jesus, uh, like John said, by believing, here it is in uh, verse uh, 31, by believing you have life in his name. Life in his name. What does that mean, life in his name? It means life that is eternal. It means you have the life of Christ is yours, and that's life that goes on forever. That's life beyond the grave. Hey, death isn't the end. If you've got Jesus, you have eternal life. See, this, this is another reason why the resurrection is so wonderful. 
because the resurrection says about Jesus that when he went to the cross to die as a sacrifice to pay for sin, the resurrection proves that it worked, that it is sufficient, that if he has died for you to pay for your sin, then your sins are taken away, that you are guaranteed eternal life. Like think about it in the reverse. Let's say Jesus went to the cross and he died and he stayed dead, never came out of that tomb. Then there'd be no guarantee that he actually died to pay for our sins because it would look like he died to pay for his own. But the good news is he didn't have any of his own sin. That means when he died, he could die for our sin. Which means that when you trust in him, you can be confident that all of those things you've done wrong, all of the ways that you've rejected God and ignored him and disobeyed him, all of that stuff has been paid for in full by Jesus. He's risen to prove that it's worked. So when you put your trust in him, eternal life guaranteed. The punishment of death is taken away from you. That's why Jesus could say in John 11, even though you die, you will live, you will rise again. See, life in his name. This means your future is secure. You have nothing to fear in the future. If death has been taken away, if death is just the entrance into heaven and then when Jesus comes again, you rise again like him, if that's true, then you've got nothing to worry about in the future. Now, all of the troubles you go through in this life, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the trials, one day you'll look back on it and it will just seem like a blink in this endless joy of eternal life that is guaranteed for everyone who believes. See how wonderful the resurrection is? It assures us that there is life, that death is not the end. Life in his name. That's what the resurrection guarantees. And so hear the words of Jesus. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet, are, and yet believe. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful news that there is eternal life for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. We thank you that he did conquer the grave, that our confidence of eternal life isn't based on um, an idea or an ideal or a story, something made up, but we thank you that it's based on, on a real event, an event that if we were there, we could see and touch. And we thank you, Father, for uh, the written words of the apostles that we can read today and we can find out and, and see the evidence for ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that we have a faith that is based on real things and that because of that we can have a real hope, a real one that, that really will deliver. Lord, we pray that uh, all of us here would be uh, comforted by this, especially as we think about the, um, the sorrows of life and the sorrows of losing loved ones. We thank you that there is hope that all who are in Christ will one day rise again. and There'll be a great reunion of living forever uh, with the Lord. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.